Welcome to the Spirituality Out Loud podcast, where you'll hear real-life stories of people's unique spiritual journeys in their own words from their own viewpoints. Hosted by Leslie Seidel, relationship expert and spiritual mentor, who specializes in working with people on their relationships, from their romantic life to their work life and just plain life. Here's Leslie. so excited for today's podcast. Today, I had the honor and the privilege of having Manpreet Kamal. She is not only a top sales producer and converted to international best-selling author of three books. She's a self-love columnist for South Asian Women Magazine. She is a writer for the Thrive Global She's certified by the Ford Institute as a breakthrough shadow coach, and she is the founder of Bollywood Dance Company called Rangdi Bollywood. In her work, she helps people go from shame, self-abandonment, to self-love and wholeness so that they can live their truest life for themselves versus for the outside world. She is absolutely amazing, and I had so much fun talking to her today. So I can't wait for you guys to hear her journey from immigrating to the States and finding her way from two different worlds. And you can also please take a moment to go to our website. You can find all of these at my website, uh, coachlesley.com forward slash podcast, or you can go directly to manpreetkamal.org, M-A-N-P-R-E-E-T-K-O-M-A-L.org. And please help me welcome this wonderful woman and this beautiful journey that she was on. I'm so incredibly grateful that she was here today. So without further ado, here she is. Hi, welcome, welcome. Hello, Leslie. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming. And for those of you, I just want to I just want to acknowledge that we did this video. We did this podcast back in April. It didn't record, and so the universe wants to hear us talk again. Yes. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Actually, I'm really excited to see what comes forward. And I remember, um, I remember how open, honest, and vulnerable you were in the first podcast. And so I'm excited to hear your story again and to see how it's changed, right? Because our lives change over time. Yeah, yeah, me too. Thanks for having me. My heart's really opening already talking to you before this conversation. So I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So we start at the beginning, which is what do you remember? What was your experience of a spiritual life or a religious life growing up, either as a small kid or how your family held it or what your experience was of what your family said for you? Um, I think as a kid, I was brought up in Sikh religion. I don't think, I think I know that. <laughs> I think a lot. Uh, so I was brought up as a Sikh, S-I-K-H religion, which is from Punjab. North India, um, pretty, pretty strict for the most part, although I've always been kind of a free bird. Um, so, you know, the men who wear the turban on their heads, the Sikhs, um, sometimes they're confused with um, Pakistani, which oh, they also wear turbans. The Sikhs are from India for the most part, but they wear turban as uh, to protect their crown chakra, 
which is kind of like um, one of the five Ks we've been given. K means case in Indian, to protect the hair, to basically protect everything that God's given you. To, there's no need to cut it. So um, we have 10 gurus in our religion. Uh, Guru Nanak Dev Ji is the founder of our religion um, in 1400s. And um, so, yeah, I'm brought up in this religion. It's a really, really beautiful religion. It's, it's very much focused on service. Uh, definitely, I have an imprint of that in my life, just the fact that I'm here right now. Um, and uh, it's a beautiful religion. Um, I think I personally have evolved since then. In terms of my spiritual practice, I love the churches, I love the temples, I love connecting with God, period. Does that answer your question, Leslie? It does, but I, one of my questions is, were you raised here in the States or were you raised in India? I was uh, 12 when I came from Amritsar, India to USA. So I'm 40 now. So I've spent about 28 years in America. So you could say I'm more American than Indian for sure. So I'm curious how you experienced your religion there, because I'm assuming there was a lot more people uh, of that religion around you, a, more, a bigger community maybe, and maybe I'm not, maybe I'm wrong, versus the community here when you got here. That's a really good question. Um, I think in India, it was easier in many ways for me and my family. We had, uh, we were in Amritsar, which is a very holy and religious city to begin with. This is where the Golden Temple is in India. Um, and my, my grandfather was a religious poet at the Golden Temple. So my father obviously took that on in a very, you know, we always had the Guru Granth Sahib, which is like the holy book that the gurus left us with at our house. Uh, and we had a Sikh temple that my father was involved with in, in the colony that we lived in. So it was very easy. It was like part of life. Uh, and it just made sense. You know, there were I have one of my fondest memories of something called Prabhat Ferry, which they do these on special occasions throughout the year, like four or five in the morning. The whole colony would walk around the streets and they would play harmoniums and instruments. They would sing and chat for hours. And then somebody's house would have this beautiful sacred ceremony of eating these foods that are blessed by this holy ceremony. So it was, it was more of a community thing and it was easy. Uh, coming to U.S., it's huge conflict. First of all, uh, for us, it was economical. We went from having a very nice home well off in India to starting all over again for my father in U.S. Um, complete change of events. It was not our first preference to be here, but the conditions in India in Amritsar required us to do something to change our life. So, um, so we in U.S., you know, my father's always been involved with the temple as well, but it's different. It's different to be in a new country where you don't understand the language, culture, and then you're kind of looked at as strange because you wear this turban or you're this short Indian girl and people only associate that with like Hindu, Bindi, Gandhi, three words that don't really make sense, but there's a lot of discrimination. The time I came to U.S., there were not many Indians. This is 1990. And right now I'm in San Francisco area and the Bay Area, it's full of Indians. In fact, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, they're everywhere. <laughs> but it's, it's when I came to U.S. and I wasn't in this part of the uh, Bay Area, but 
it was just like there were no Indians. Uh, there were very few Punjabis and they had specific kind of jobs because you do what you best can when you come to a new country, just like any immigrant. So it was very, very challenging. I think it still is. I think it changed the direction of my family and evolution, but that also makes me the human uh, and the person that I am today and able to support a lot of people in those shoes in my own way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't imagine, honestly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <If you> want to. <laughs> well, I just, you know, I grew up in a small town and I uh-huh. lived in, like, I lived in like four different places and this is, uh-huh. you know, and so it's just, it was so insular and I just, the, the amount of courage it would take to move to a different country and to take your children with you and to, that, I just, yeah, I think the amount of courage that would take is immense and I, I, I just couldn't imagine and I applaud people when I see them do that. I just can't even, you know? Yeah, thank you. You were growing up, you were part of this religion. This, it felt good, it felt, it sounds to me like what you're saying is it fulfilled you, right? It felt, it was just what you did, right? We didn't question things when we were little, like this is just what was going on. Yeah. How did that kind of shift over time? I mean, it must, it shifted a bit when you moved here, right, to US, but mm-hmm. what, was that the major shift or was growing up the major shift? And what did that look like? It definitely shifted for me, uh, maybe even more so than the rest of my family. So I'm the youngest of three kids. I was 12. And as you know, 12 is a very vulnerable age when you're hitting puberty. And uh, so I'm coming to US at this age wanting to fit in this American culture, okay, whatever that is, or what was back then. I just wanted to belong. I just wanted to fit in. I just, I just wanted to be one of the cool kids or whatever cool was. Didn't even know the word cool in India. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I am learning these cool words or I don't care. Everybody in my school, junior high would say, I don't care. So I, and I'm having crushes on these like cute guys, whatever the resemble of an Indian man. They probably are not Indian in America, you know? Uh, probably Assyrian, I think, in, in California. So it's like, I'm going through my own phase and my family's like, what the hell is she going through? And they're all Indian and they're going through their own sets of challenges. And my brother's older than me, sister's older than me. So they're not going through exactly the same challenges as me. Yeah. I'm suddenly having crushes and crank calling some random men and <laughs> my father's having to deal with this at the school. And I've never had this with my father. He's dropping me at school. You don't worry about these things in India. And so I, for me, it was a cultural fit. I, I think it was for all of us. But for me, I was assimilating into the culture quite rapidly. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a challenge for my family. It was a big challenge for them to see me go through this. They, they were not accepting it. They couldn't deal with my, I was, I, I think I was a rebel in India too, but in America, the rebel is very much accepted. Like the kids are independent, you know, in school, they're not like going at the direction of the mother of the father. They're just kind of independent. So this rebellious nature was coming on in India. My father could like slap me and that would be okay with that. But here kids, even at age 12 and 13, oh no, no, that, they can't do that. I'll call the cops. So I was raising that voice against my father, the dominant man in my family. You can't do that. I'll call the cops. Like I had this strong hat on, like you can't treat me like this, mm-hmm. you know, like, and then to the deep level, I didn't feel accepted for the way I was changing because they were not able to accept. It was too quick for them. Mm-hmm. So it was very challenging to come here 
I think spiritually, religiously, I probably, we kept, we kept with our going to the temple, we kept with the practicing, but it was not the same because it was challenging just to be in a new country. But now in the last six years or so, my spiritual journey has changed so much, which has very different from when I first came. And I think it actually took me 10 years to settle into this country, despite me being the first one. It actually took me 10 years to get out of the mental mode of thinking, oh, I'm, I'm new to this country, to feeling like I belong here. Yeah. So, yeah. So you're saying that in general, I mean, aside from uh, my, uh, immigrating here, the, the bigger shift in your spiritual life happened six years ago. Absolutely. Was there an event? Absolutely. Do you want to tell me about the event? Yes, sure. So my husband had some health challenges in 2011. I've been married for 11 years now, together with him for 14 years. Mm -hmm. um, We had challenges in a marriage already, um, but in 2011, he had panic attacks. And uh, I've always kind of been the rescuer in the family or in, in all my relationships. And so I put on the rescue hat took care of him for three, four months, took him to the temple every day because the man told me only that could save him. Um, a man that I trusted, spiritual man, and took him to acting practices. But that parted us emotionally uh, even more because he just couldn't handle uh, me. I'd come home with my own issues, whether it's work or something. The emotional disconnect became bigger and there was a separation in our marriage I think it was always there, but the, you know, things happen and they just put light on your issues. And my in-laws were there. They were staying with us at that time. I was blamed for his health by my in-laws. My favorite person in his family is his grandfather who passed many years ago. He blamed me for aging him. So I got distant from my husband in many, many levels and Anyway, physically, he, he, he lost it. Like when you become physically somehow disabled, that fear stays in your body, even if you're over it. Mm-hmm. So that put us apart in many ways. And I went on a spiritual journey to figure out, like, I remember us seeing a marriage therapist, two of them, husband, wife, coupled, coupled as a therapist. And they said to me, we are more worried about you than him. Like mm-hmm. anxiety in their eyes was small. Like, you know, but my husband, I would wake up every night thinking he's having a heart attack. You know, he'd ask me to check his pulse, but that wasn't the case. He had a heart monitor on, but the fear stays of losing your husband and so much happened. So our marriage direction changed after that. And I, I remember after four months after the advice of this couple therapist going to Ibiza for 10 days. So Europe's always been very special for me. And I thought, you know what? I'm burnt out. I need 10 days. I asked my family to take care of my husband. And they did. They're very supportive. And that was the first time I realized in that trip that I didn't miss him. Mm. So before that, I'd taken many solo trips. And I've always missed him and come back early or we'd go on a trip or something crazy. And that was the first trip I realized I didn't miss him. And so I think that just changed the direction of our marriage. And we are still married, but we have both gone through a lot in the last six years over the recovery of his health. Then my health happened in 2015. It's just it's been like one thing after another. And now I think I'm just on the path 
of spiritual involvement and have accepted it at, to a great level that this is my path. And I find, I find harmony in the, in the between world space, between the physical and the, and the sky or the heaven or the earth. This is, this is where I belong. And this is where I, I think I seek and crave that. And I think I've missed that even in my marriage. Uh, but as I have gotten more and more spiritual in that dimension that's between worlds, I love it. I love it there, you know? So what I hear you saying is that this marriage that you had was a, a base for your life. And when that started to have issues, you needed to find some answers. Yeah. So then where did you seek or how did you seek those? I mean, right, it sounds like you wanted... You needed some comfort. You needed, what did you need? Let me let you say. I think I needed, uh, I needed to be seen for who I was. Mm -hmm. I needed to see also um, what was missing in my marriage that led to this event because I, I actually blame myself for his health too. Mm. Um, I don't think I understood the emotional distance at that time. I understand it now. So there were, you know, when you fall in love with the man, handsome, attractive, great dancer. We met on the dance floor, we're both dancers. And you look over a lot of things. Um, so we immediately moved in together. Um, I don't think I was wise enough to know, um, select the kind of person or to you. I was, I was probably codependent at the time. You know, I just wanted to be with someone I loved and we fell in love. And as I look back now, it's like, He's my greatest teacher. Just mm. yesterday, I had this amazing revelation um, around our marriage. I was like, wow, I've been looking at this the wrong way the whole time. So uh, I went on a spiritual journey, and I think it was partly my husband. Uh, it was because I also lived with epilepsy mm -hmm. since age 12. I think underneath the marriage was always that. Uh, so epilepsy, I would say, is probably the biggest a teacher for me in my life and then it's my marriage my husband or my relationship to men in general how i how i accept that um so i've been on this path of transforming that within myself as as i accepted epilepsy and as i came out in the world and shared that because it had so much so much load of shame underneath that and mm. i don't think all of it was mine either it's just it was a word like I couldn't go on podcasts like this and say that without being triggered. Mm. I'm so aware of it right now. In 2012, my first spiritual course around within a year of my husband's health, I went to Europe. I always do something spiritual in Europe. I took a course in metamedicine. I said in front of the whole class, Hey, I, I want, I, I want to heal the epilepsy thing. It's not something I share with even with teachers, but I'll just say it in class because I have this ambitious spirit. Like, I want to heal this. You know, I, I want to do this. And it put my body in trauma for days. Mm. And this has been the case. Then I started writing about healing through the trauma of epilepsy in 2014. I was guided towards a book called Heal Yourself Through Writing. And again, my body went through trauma, just writing about it. So it was like not an easy topic. It's, it's not an easy topic to write about or go through because your body actually goes in a different space and dimension when you actually have a seizure. So I have been working on all that and healing that part of my life. And as I have healed that, um, the marriage has been, been easier to look at mm. because a lot of my beliefs, a lot of the 
beliefs in the marriage. I brought that with me to the marriage, my fears or the cultural beliefs and fears. So I've been looking at my part of the book in my relationship or, or just in general, because I have a huge heart to help the world. How can I heal this? And, and as I was telling you earlier, right now, I, I feel so much compassion for people when they feel um, identify strongly with the health challenge because I've, I've had that all my life and I felt limited or less than or ashamed of or even to leave my marriage. Oh, I'm never going to find a man. I'm somehow disabled or mm. less than. And when you read newspaper articles in India, I don't know, some horrible stories like the husband had epilepsy and how, I don't even know. It's kind of like the whole thing about killing the daughter when she's born because she's a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I see how much my parents didn't talk to me about it, not, nothing to blame them. It's just the way they were. You know, They thought they were doing the right thing for me. Um, I just see how much it affected and impacted my life. And as I cover every layer of shame in me and heal it, um, I, I just, I feel like I can do that for others too. And I, and I want to help them and support them with that. I love that when I say something like, what is your spiritual or religious life? The dialogue is all about healing. Yeah. Right. I'm in pain. I sought something and through this journey, I healed. Yeah. I think I, as you mentioned this, I I reflect deeper and it's a great point. I think for me, it's like you look, you question yourself when you go on a healing journey and you look for answers and then you look wherever you can find the answers. And, and then you just go on a path and it's like an onion one layer after another, it removes itself. And so many teachers, so many books come in your way and and you do the best you can. And you might try running away from your problems, but eventually, like for me, in 2015, which was the big wake up call, I think, uh, I had a seizure. I thought I'd healed myself after this book journey of heal yourself through writing. Um, I've healed myself. I'm one of those cool people, spiritual masters, whatever. And and then a week before my one-way trip to Europe, I had a seizure. I went out of body and I saw it myself. Nobody else saw it. I was the hardest body physical experience to get out of for me. It took me years. Mm. I think I'm out of it now. Uh, This is three years later, right? We're in 2018. but the shame, the physical, how my relationship with my husband, it was, it was very interesting, all that I had to go through. So it forced me to live a different kind of life. It forced me to build a relationship with God. It forced me to do a lot of things that I probably would have ran and had sex with amazing men in Europe. I think that's what I was unconsciously planning and write an amazing book about running. <laughs> And you never said, no, we have a plan for you. You stay here with your husband and uh, you work your shit out because you're not even looking at yourself yet. And uh, oh my God, and it's been amazing. I'm not the woman I would have been. And I, it's been constant evolvement and change since my last seizure. It's been a huge gift in many ways. So your last seizure was in 2015. Yes. So it's, a spiritual life is healing, mm-hmm. darts out of pain, mm-hmm. and 
a seeking to, yeah, a seeking to heal, right? Like, so I, you know, there's a lot going on in the U.S. right now mm-hmm. that I disagree with. <laughs> and, you know, you hear this question of why is not a spiritual question, right? And I, I just, I, I am so angry. And um, I, I, there's a part of me that keeps going, like, where is God in this? Like, where is spirit in this? Where is it? That, you know, and, but the thing that I hear is that this co- when a person, mm-hmm. this is my experience too, when I'm uncomfortable, when I feel discomfort, I am willing to grow, heal, and change. Yeah. It is such a motivator. Yeah. That I, I, you know, the prayer is, can I grow, heal, and change and without pain, right? That's the <laughs> prayer. Like, can I do it without the strife? But that's what I hear. That's what I hear your journey has been. Is that... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think pain has been a huge motivator to change. And it's funny, I was reading this in the book too. And the book says, change happens in an instant. But accepting the change is what takes us years, lifetimes, who knows, like, like, I, I was this shameful epileptic girl in some treasure chest like whenever i would look at the inner child in me with cockroaches in this chest and i would come out and i had red eyes i was on top of some mountain and i had anger towards the world and i just wanted to scream i'm healing that and uh it just i definitely pain is a great motivator to change And, and for me I had an additional, additional pain that was my physical body. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's like, okay, this limits me from making many of my dreams come true. So, and then, you know, at some level you feel helpless and powerless over your body, which forced me to change my relationship with my body. Yes. Okay, body, you're my temple. You're my cot. I have to tell it that every time I'm tired, I honor you. I cannot, I, I did that for many years. I went on, I was on a medicine for epilepsy that, Controlled my seizures really well, uh, but it wasn't good for me. The medicine long-term, the doctors told me that. And But it let me be the top sales producer for many companies and live a high-stress life. I wanted that. Somehow, my overachiever shadow was there. So, But my physical body has been my greatest teacher. Uh, also, my being has been an overachiever, which conflicted with my body. My body said no, but my, my overachiever would say, no, 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 you can do this. And then the seizure would happen. It's like, oh, something needs to change. This is not working. So I think my body, relationship with my body and being has been my teacher. Um, and when things don't go well and you're forced to change, you're on bed rest, and you can't live the life that you thought you're going to live, you have to, you have to look at everything. And for me, I think it's been like, what brings me into a state of high vibration, happiness in my marriage? I just came from three months of Europe trip. Okay, things are not going well, uh, whether it's my marriage or my life, or maybe it's me. I just took that break. I knew I had to trust. Didn't know where I was going, how I'd be directing, where the money would come from. I just went and I trusted on every single day, trusting I will be led and I will know. And same thing with my health. There's, there's had to be a lot of trust. And all I can do is control how I think and, and 
change my negative thoughts, if I get stuck in negativity, I have tools that I've learned from amazing teachers, books, some of my own. I just practice that on a daily basis, as an act of self-love towards my body. How can I stay in a high vibration? Who brings me down? And how can I not be with those people without bringing them down? You know, like sometimes you want to blame people. It's like there's a lot of patterns I'm changing. And mm. some of them I think are ancestral, not to blame the ancestry, but like you come to a new country and then you realize you're the first one in your family to learn self-love. And then you're teaching that to the world. It's like, okay, this is a huge mission that I've taken on. If I signed a contract before being born, this is what I'm here for. It's a huge thing I've signed up for. So then I want to fulfill this, um, you know, without looking for fame, because there was a period I just wanted fame, best-selling book and all this stuff. So now it's kind of like, how do I do this for me? How do I do this to help people? And how do I do this in partnership with God? Make the greatest impact I can, even if it's a small thing. Um, just be me. And, 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 you know, Anita Morjani, I don't know if you know Anita Morjani. She wrote this book, Dying to Be Me. Hmm. It resonates deeply with me. It was a book that three people at, at a writing workshop told me, you need to pick up this book. And I was just like, what kind of name is this? Dying to Be Me. I don't want to read this book. But I read this book. It's about an Indian woman who goes to Hong Kong. She has similar experiences as me. Immigrant comes to a new country and she's kind of being pointed at by everybody in the culture to live a certain life, marry to an arranged marriage. And I mean, my story is a little different, but it's like these values and beliefs are instilled in you from the culture. So how, how do you become you when you come to a new country? And, and I know I speak for a lot of people that are immigrants in new countries. How do you become who you truly are? In America, you're kind of encouraged to be who you truly are, but I, I, I have my doubts about that too because I don't think a woman is accepted very much in America. Um, so it's like, how do I become who I truly am? Like, you know, okay, I want to wear these sexy clothes outside. And if my mother's going to, if I'm going to come home, my mother's going to say, your cleavage showing too much or your shorts are too short. Like for who? Outside, everybody accepts me. But in my Indian home, I'm not accepted. So suddenly I have this shame of being this woman who can, you know, and I go to Europe and, oh, these clothes are perfect in some parts of Europe. Okay, so I'm accepted there. So it's, I think for me, it's been a journey of like, accepting myself no matter where I am in the world being my true self saying my truth and knowing it's okay whether it's I'm I live with epilepsy or I love pole dancing I it's like there's there's so much to being who you truly are and and Anita Morjani writes in this book and I really believe she's just gone somewhere with that it's like when we are who we truly are that might just be heaven you know when we are just in acceptance and allowance and when we can get to the point of sharing our truth without any shame, judgment, yeah, I mean, there, there's always going to be layers. We can get to that point of being who we are and living the happy life that we want to live. That, that's what we're here for, to just uncover that, unravel that, you know, that, that onion and coming to the core of the onion and, and loving that, accepting that, being with the sadness, anger, the happiness, accepting all of who you are and being that, living that every day. Yeah. Oh, man, to that. Yeah. And that is absolutely the hardest, right? You know, born and raised American here and, you know, the expectations of the family, whatever that is, the expectations of your town, the expectations, you know, 
the expectations of me growing up in Southern California versus growing up in the South, right? Like it's all, um, and growing up as a woman, growing up as a, you know, all of these things and, and then trying to fight your way to yeah. who you are, right? That, that does sound like, that does sound like a great description of a spiritual path, mm-hmm. right? Getting to the core of who you are as a person, right? Beyond, beyond the society, it's, it's not just the American culture. Yeah. There's, we are celebrated for being A plus, we're celebrated for being CEOs, at least Silicon Valley is, and we're celebrated to live a high stress life. We have so much vacation days. Um, when I go to Ibiza, Spain, it's a little bit more chill, you know, it's like everybody has a job, but they celebrate life. There's the siestas and women are walking around half naked at the beach, which I love. It's all about freedom, but there's no like I'm looking at her breasts. It's, it's kind of like, it's just the way it is. There's no shame in their body. And, but you know, economy is not the best there. So everything has its ups and downs and women, you know, it's, I think sexuality is not that accepted in America. (laughs) In India. Yeah. I I don't even feel safe walking in a road without feeling like I have to protect every part of my body, you know? So I think, I think it's just, it's just, accepting where you are and allowing of other cultures to be where they are at and finding your home in all of that. Yeah. There you go. Finding your home. Right. Yeah. That's beautiful. This feels complete to me. Is there anything that you would like to say about your spiritual life, spiritual practices um, today that we haven't touched upon? Well, uh, I'd like to share what I'm doing right now. Is that all right? Yeah, please. Okay, so I am a breakthrough shadow coach. Mm. I've been certified by the Ford Institute. So I'm also a writer. If people want to follow me, they can find me on facebook.com forward slash love the beautiful mind or my Instagram on Preet Komal, K-O-M-A-L 2017. And, you know, if you guys... If this triggers anybody or if they have any questions, if they need any help, feel free to reach out to me. My website is manpreetkamal.org and I'm here to support and help however I can in in the best of my ability at least. All of those things will be up on the website at coachlesley.com forward slash podcast. And I also want to say, you know, I, uh, my graduate school is in Jungian work and so I, I have an idea and, and an experience of shadow work, mm-hmm. but not everyone does. So can you give a little explanation of what that means? Because that's no joke, man. That shadow work is no joke. So I'm, yeah. yeah, could you explain a little bit about what it means to do that? Yeah, it's a great question. So your shadow is something that is... So, you know, okay, so as I mentioned to you guys, epilepsy, I live with epilepsy. So up until maybe a year or so ago, I would never have wanted to share this with the world. The last thing I want to say on a newspaper tomorrow is epileptic Indian girl, fat epileptic Indian girl leaves her husband and goes to Europe. Okay, maybe I'm proud of the Europe and part, but the epileptic and the fat is probably my shadow. Like I live with body issues and I never really want to be fat. So I'm going to overachieve my exercise. Not that I do that. I'm I'm healing that, but 
I don't want my fat self to be seen. But when I accept my fat self, when I accept my epileptic self, or when I accept that I live with these marriage issues, no matter how much shame or there is in leaving my husband, um, I've become more whole and complete. But there's layers to acceptance. Mm. I'm right now in a course called Heal Your Heart. And I'm just realizing, I'll give this example. So I've blamed my husband probably for my entire marriage life for some, some issues, whether it's because we didn't have sex on our wedding night in this beautiful $1,600 room hotel with amazing ocean views and my beautiful like hours, hours and hours and probably decades spent on researching this dress, makeup, hair, whatever. (laughs) 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 Or it's, or it's him listening to his mother more than me or I, this huge revelation I had yesterday in, in this course was what was underneath my blame and making my husband wrong. Mm. And it's deep down insecurity that I am not enough. Mm. Um, whether I'm in India, not accepted for my power or being the open woman that I am. And I'm not the traditional, I'm going to cook for you, mother-in-law, father-in-law, and touch your feet left and right. I'm not going to do that. Uh, but it's like my shadow was actually that I am insecure that I'm not enough that drove me to blame my husband. And of course his shadow is he's not good enough. It's a perfect match we are. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the shadow belief that I am not good enough, but it took me years to get to that. Uh, so it's kind of like looking at your deeper psyche and your traits. Or your Thank dark you for self. listening. Why do Please subscribe so you never miss an episode uh, of Spirituality Out Loud. Be I sure to rate us, review us, and like us on Facebook. And share us with we your friends. We transform this and we find the gifts in our show. Mm. So living with epilepsy gives me opportunities like this to be here and share with the world. Um, being fat, I haven't found the gift yet note to be taken um you know my not good enough shadow wow that revelation is huge because now i can rewrite the story and tell myself in every instance in my life that i made my husband not good enough and accept that i was good enough on that wedding night when we didn't have sex and like that was not about me Mm -mm. it's probably not even him so it's like i can go back and rewrite that story of my life that I am enough. Even living with epilepsy, I'm enough. I don't have to make this mean anything that the world knows. I'm enough. Yeah. <sighs> Thank you. Thank you. So again, if um, any of this speaks to your heart, please feel free to contact her, follow her, and um, and just take a moment to share this story, this beautiful story. And I really appreciate your heart. And I appreciate your honesty and I appreciate your desire and ability to speak your truth. Right. It's, um, it's a really big honor. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Leslie, and for all that you're doing. And I know you're doing this for free and um, doing a lot of good in the world. So thank you. Yeah. Amen.